over a year and a half, we've been talking about the corn revolution taking place at Pioneer. I've talked to breeders, researchers, geneticists, agronomists, some based in Johnston, many located all over the country. But today, we're going to talk to some Pioneer people about how technology hasn't just changed corn product development, it's also powering innovations across all of Pioneer crops, which is why we're calling this episode Firing on All Cylinders. Let's start with our first two guests, Dennis Holland, a product agronomist from Anamosa, Iowa, and Derek Bowman, a product agronomist from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. All right. Well, uh, Dennis Holland, Derek Bowman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I'd love to get your official titles and uh, and you know find out exactly what it is that uh, you both do. Dennis, can we start with you? Yeah, so I am a product agronomist uh, here in, in eastern Iowa, and I cover an area that uh, basically encompasses the southeast quarter of Iowa and mainly um, spend my time evaluating corn and, uh, and soybean uh, here in southeast Iowa. All right, and how about you, Derek? Yeah, so uh, same here. I am a product agronomist, and I cover uh, basically Pennsylvania, Northeast Ohio, as well as uh, Delmarva. So it includes Delaware, Maryland, and, and the tip of Virginia, and New Jersey as well. And I evaluate uh, corn and soybean uh, impact plots that we have out here. Well, good. Good. I'm glad to uh, have you both on. Well, so just to let you guys know, so I was able to host two seasons of the Corn Revolution podcast. And so I've heard just tons about corn, which is great. I think it's fascinating and the science behind it is really incredible. But what I'm trying to determine with this show is I want to know if all of the different research, all of the different technology, the science, just this whole structure that Pioneer has, if that goes beyond corn. Yeah, certainly. I, you know, speaking from from my experience in, in history, just understanding um, the amount of resources uh, that I see, you know, having come from research, you, you know, looking at these research centers, you know, across the Midwest and just looking at the increased investment, you know, just the amount of people and equipment that that we uh, deploy now to do our plots is is multiple times higher, not only at corn uh, um, centers, but but soybean centers as well. And, you know, even even an impact, you know, we our impact plots for soybeans you know, have grown. We're also introducing a new herbicide technology Enlist, and um, you know we have Enlist Enlist products um, in our impact plots this year. So, so we're um, you know we're we're moving forward at a much higher you know intensity, and also just screening much more material. I would say not only just in corn, but but in all crops. All right. Now, you guys have both used the word impact, and this is a word that I've heard uh, throughout doing the, you know, doing the podcast for Pioneer for the last year or so. But can you explain to me what the significance of that word impact when you talk about impact trial? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. So, yeah, impact uh, stands for Intensely Managed Product Advancement Characterization Trials. So it's a very long, uh, you know, we, we brought it down to, you know, the acronym, we brought it down to impact. But really what it is is looking at the local testing outside of, uh, you know, the research trials. And when you look at these impact trials, um, we're actually, you know, we find cooperators or growers uh, that are willing to help us with, with this testing. And, and the real key is to get real life situations out in the field. 
Uh, for example, if we have a grower that's very high management under irrigation, we want to make sure that, you know, that impact trial goes to that, that type of situation. We basically let our growers take care of the pot as it's their own field. And that's what makes it very unique when we look at the local testing or impact trials. And do do other crops besides corn use impact? Oh, yeah. There's other uh, crops that are under the uh, impact testing scheme as well. So do agronomists share information or what they've learned from one crop to help advance other crops? I would say we're getting really, really good sharing some information across uh you know, across colleagues as agronomists, we get together and I know I have some, some, you know, you know, my colleagues close around me where we kind of talk and see what we're seeing with the products, but also with technology too, to kind of, you know, what's the next best step, you know, technology to help us make uh, decisions out in the field. And some of us out here are, are using videos and we're also using some other technologies, uh, drones, for example, or UAVs uh, flying over these impact trials to capture you know, basically get a bird's eye view um, of the plots. When you're when you're getting that data from from all these different sources, are you able to use that data that you're getting there to help you innovate and advance other crops? I mean, you know, when we're looking at data, um, it is kind of a, a crop by crop, but there are certainly some things that cross over and send some knowledge that you gain. Um, Maybe when looking at a soybean plot or a corn plot or, or looking at some data that, that you can apply, you know, to um, to some of your other crops when you're evaluating those. So, um, and again, with the UAVs, you know, they've they've went all the way across all the crops now. Um, that's been a technology that's really developed rapidly here in the past uh, oh, three or four years uh, for evaluating all crops. And we use them for, you know, evaluating data quality across locations where there's corn or soybeans and it's a very similar process. So, so yeah, we, we try to use as, as much as we can, um, across, across the different, uh, testing and, and crops, uh, to get the most bang for our buck out of all of our technology. All right. So let me ask you this, Dennis, when it comes to, I guess, the working relationship between breeders and agronomists, is it, is it more of a, I don't know how to put it, maybe more of a casual relationship where uh, you're on the phone or maybe you meet up in a field at some point and you're looking at different traits, talking about different data, or is there actually a point where everybody gets together and they share all the findings, maybe some sort of a conference or some sort of official meeting like that? I would say it's both. Um, you know, having had some some background in research, you know, I became uh, pretty familiar with, with some of these breeders. You know, I went to college with a couple of them, so so I know them on a personal level. And, you know, I don't have any trouble picking up the phone and, and talking to um, a, a, a local breeder about, um, you know, maybe some observations I'm seeing out in the field. But we also do have scheduled, you know, meetings where there's a purpose, you know, where we're going to uh, meet in a field and, uh, and talk about certain specific things, uh, not only with the breeders, but with some of the, the you know, technical product managers or lifecycle managers um, that cover maybe a broader area. Um, and then certainly in the fall, when a lot of the key decisions are being made, um, that's that's more of a formal process where we get together and, and share observations and share information. And, and the breeders and the product agronomists work pretty much hand in hand um, on that process as we advance products. Okay. Thank you for that. So, Derek, let me ask you this. Uh, at, the, at, the, at the Pioneer Company picnic, when uh, you know the hot dogs are on the grill 
and you're all getting together on the softball field and the breeders are playing the agronomists in softball. I already know the agronomists are going to win, but by how much? I mean, how many runs are you going to score on them? Oh, you know, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> no, it might be, it might be a close game. Who knows? Some, some of our, I tell you what, some of our plant breeders are very competitive. I tell you that. <laughs> you guys, this has been great. Uh, pleasure to meet you both. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us today. All right. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thank you. Now we're fortunate enough to also get the perspective of a couple of pioneer breeders. Corn breeder Sarah Lira from Dallas Center, Iowa, and sorghum easy leader Laura Mayor from Manhattan, Kansas. Well, Sarah and Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. You bet. I'm looking forward to this conversation with both of you. Sarah, if you could give us your title and tell us where you're at right now. I am a research scientist, um, but really I'm just a plant breeder. And um, I've, I've worked in corn for quite a while. I've been a corn breeder in uh, Dallas Center, which is just a little bit west of Des Moines. And I have responsibility for Southwest Iowa, Southeast Nebraska, and Northwest Missouri. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, Laura, let's let's talk about you. So give us your title and tell us where you're at. Um, hi, Matt. Um, I'm a sorghum breeder, uh, research scientist. Um, I'm located in Manhattan, Kansas. I have extended responsibilities to uh, manage what we call an evaluation zone that covers Kansas and uh, the Texas Panhandle for sorghum. We're going to jump into the technical stuff, and I want to ask you, Sarah, about breeding technologies. I've heard so much about advances in corn, but it's not just about corn, right? Right. So all of the crops use um, marker technology, so DNA technologies. Um, and I think the next probably a big one would be uh, statistical technologies. I don't know if statistics count as a technology, but we, uh, we can use common analytics. And then um, I think the last one would be phenotyping technologies. So, um, you know, kind of field equipment and drones and, and uh, imagery just generally. And I think in that space, um, there's lots of commonalities. Sarah mentioned phenotyping technology, and I've heard it in relation to corn and measuring characteristics of the plant. But can you tell me how it is used beyond corn? Um, yes. So basically, it, we can look at phenotyping technology in different ways. One is how we can best how we can set up the best yield trials, and then the other portion of it is how we can precisely phenotype our um, our genetic entities, um, in essence, is the use of imaging, uh, use of drone technology that we can better um, characterize those phenotypes as well as defining in, in terms of, uh, I'm going to go and digress a little bit in terms of sorghum and looking into drought and how we characterize drought at different stages of the crop to make better selections. And so handling managed environments or specific phenotypes in essence um, in terms of standability, how can we select better those individuals. So phenotyping can go in different buckets. One is precision phenotyping using imaginary or just focusing into a particular trait and how we can um, dissect that, tra that trait to the best extent possible so that we can make um, better selections. So, Sarah, 
let me ask you about this. I know corn development uses something called predictive analytics. What is that and how is that used beyond corn? So I'll take, I'll kind of give two answers. So I think often when we talk about predictive analytics, for example, in corn or in sorghum, we're talking about using, um, using genetics and, and the environment to predict future performance of, of new lines that we haven't evaluated. So I think that predictive analytics are all the pieces that you need to actually go in and, and do that. So genetics, genetic fingerprints, and then um, environmental data from the past. Um, and, and then, you know, you roll that all together and you predict performance in the future. Um, there's another way to think about predictive analytics that I, like I'm kind of excited about right now. And that is thinking about um, the way a cropping system might work. So um, if you have five years, for example, of, uh, of a, on a farm, how many of those years will be a drought and how many of those years will have, you know, plenty of rain, for example, and, and, you know, kind of using weather data from the past and kind of applying that to what we think might happen in the future on that farm, you might use predictive analytics to model which crops you should grow. Or if you know, like for two years, I grew these two crops and I used this much water, I probably better, you know, tone it down a little bit next year and grow something that maybe isn't quite so water hungry. And so you can use predictive analytics instead of thinking about, I don't know, genetics, really, you can use it to think about the whole farm over a period of years. Well, that is interesting. So Laura, let me ask you this then, how, let's just take corn development, how say has corn development made sorghum better? Um, So that's a very good question. And um, essentially, you know, um, having all the experience on corn and all the technology and, and the learning from corn, from corn was very easy for us because we are hybrid crop um, to retrofit on that information and, and build the technology portion of, of sorghum. So again, it's just, as Sarah mentioned, is having those conversations with other crop, learning from them. Um, corn has a, a lot of experience of the use of technology and how to efficiently use it for delivering um, hybrids. So for us was was very, very helpful in essence on, on how we set up um, all of our technology pipeline, how, how we can use it in product, in population development, uh, product development, and, and of course all the phenotyping that we've been talking before. So um, that, those type of interaction has been very helpful for, for us. And, and again, that happens across all other crops. If you look at wheat, cotton, canola, uh, soybean, again, we have commonalities, um, hybrid crops versus self-pollinated crops that makes it easier, um, the discussion, but, but again, it is, um, very, it's very helpful to have those discussions across crops. So either Sarah or Laura, either one of you can answer this question. I mentioned before that I also interviewed Dennis Holland and Derek Bowman, who were both product agronomists, uh, for this episode. I know you're all part of the same pipeline with the same goal, but who's really more important in the development of a great variety? Is it the product agronomist or is it the breeder? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, you want to try or? (laughs) 
I think, I, I mean, it is clearly the breeder that is more important. There's no question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us today. I, I really appreciate the information and getting to know both of you. Thanks for having us. That was really interesting to hear about how Pioneer Innovation goes well beyond corn on this stop of the Pioneer Tour podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode where we'll learn about how growing soybeans is about so much more than just yield. If you want to learn more about the Pioneer Tour podcast or subscribe, just go to pioneer.com backslash tour and choose your preferred podcast service. Also, I'd love to hear your feedback as well as your ideas for future episodes. To do that, send me an email at pioneerpodcast at corteva.com. Pioneer brand products are provided subject to the terms and conditions of purchase, which are part of the labeling and purchase documents. Registrations, trademarks, and service marks are trademarks and service marks of Dow AgriSciences, DuPont, or Pioneer, and their affiliated companies or their respective owners. Copyright 2020, Corteva. Corteva.